Hello, and welcome to Tuesdays at APA in Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is Ben Lightshue, and I'm APA's Education Associate, and I'm actually filling in for David Morley, who's our senior research, uh, our senior researcher here. Um, David is at the Green Building Council Conference, and uh, he'll be back with us next time. Uh, information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. Selected past programs are also available as podcasts. See the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have two esteemed guests from Sweden. We have Stellan Frixel and Eric Freudenthal. Stellan is a partner with, with Tangboom Architects in Stockholm, Sweden, where he works on urban design, urban planning, and building design projects. And Eric is head of communications for the Stockholm Water Company's Glasshouse One Environmental, Environmental Information Center. Stellan and Eric are here tonight to present an overview of SymbioCity, the Swedish approach to fostering sustainable urban systems and processes. And they will use the Hammerby, I'm going to butcher this, Schwistad Waterfront Redevelopment Project in Stockholm, Sweden, to illustrate how the SymbioCity approach has been applied at the district scale. Please join me in welcoming Stellan and Eric. We're going to have a few, a few other comments here. Hello, my name is Asli Sunger, and I'm from uh, the trade office of the Swedish consulate. Uh, we're uh, in Sweden. We're called Business Sweden. It's the it's Swedish Trade and Invest Council, and uh, we were given the assignment by the Swedish government to promote uh, Symbio City. And um, we're going to show a brief little movie about the whole concept before Stalin and Erik will start. But uh, primarily, um, to make it very simple, right now, it's uh, Symbio City is two things. It's uh, a framework of um, an, an approach, a methodology on how to work um, with de developing sustainable cities. And it's also a network of companies in Sweden that have joined this approach. And um, in order not to leave it in a very beautiful uh, theoretic uh, thing and actually practice it in reality. And these two gentlemen will uh, give you live examples of how Sweden, without bragging too much, uh, have uh, done a fantastic job and hopefully will inspire other countries to do the same. Thank you very much. The 1960s were a worrying time for Sweden's environment. Toxins, it seemed, were everywhere. The sight of dying fish and forests touched a chord. Urgent intervention was needed. In 1967, Sweden became the first country to establish a national environmental protection agency. Two years later, it was first to introduce an environmental protection act. From then on, companies were held responsible for their emissions and environmental footprint. At the same time, the government launched a system of incentives for eco-friendly technology. It also started funding industrial research programs to develop new ways to tackle environmental challenges. Progress was remarkable. As an example, by the late 1970s, Sweden had become a world leader in filter technology for sulfur, dust and heavy metal emissions. Meantime, another trend was paving the way for the cleantech boom. Between 1952 and 1974, central government transferred wide-ranging powers to municipal councils. This decentralization created a strong local framework for environmental policymaking, delivering real change on the ground. Boosted by the right to levy local income tax, municipalities were able to take risks and invest long-term. They kept faith, for instance, in biogas through the early years when the technology was initially unprofitable. This governance model promotes technological progress and an integrated and holistic approach to sustainable development. It also spurs cooperation between the public sector, private business and academia. Unlocking the synergies between urban systems delivers more for less. We call this approach SymbioCity. 
let's take a closer look at some of SymbioCity's building blocks, its technology and know-how. Sweden has revolutionized its waste disposal in a few short decades. For many years, most household waste was buried in landfill. Then a new waste management policy was introduced in the 1970s, and today less than 1% of household waste goes to landfill. The aim is to recycle all recyclable material, or where that's not possible, to incinerate it for energy recovery. District heating utilizes energy that would otherwise be largely wasted. In the 1950s and 1960s, Sweden's municipalities took a lead in building communal district energy networks, another example of proactive local government. District heating not only makes cities cleaner, it has also cut Sweden's national CO2 emissions by 20% in two decades. In the 1970s and 1980s, successive oil crises and nuclear accidents kick-started a new debate on how to develop alternative energy forms. And so emerged a groundbreaking policy initiative, a strategy for biofuels. Biofuel development really took off after introduction of a carbon tax in 1991. Today, biofuel is Sweden's largest energy source, accounting for almost 32% of total energy supply. Biogas has been produced in Sweden's wastewater treatment plants since the 1960s. Strong investment in research and development saw biogas production flourish to such an extent that it reduced our oil dependency and waste residues. As much as 50% of the biogas produced in wastewater treatment is now converted into vehicle fuel. All inner-city buses in Stockholm and other main cities in Sweden run on biogas or ethanol. Here, Sweden takes a holistic approach based on a four-step model that's inspired development, innovation and bold action. It's about saving on journeys, converting to clean energy, encouraging non-motorized transport and enabling public and shared alternatives. Everything's connected. By marrying a holistic mindset with commitment to innovation, we've managed to break the link between growth and carbon emissions. Back in 1980, fossil fuels accounted for 66% of total energy use across all sectors. By 2012, this figure had dropped to 26%. We've overcome many challenges. Now the task is to move towards carbon neutrality. We're already underway. Just watch us go. Good evening. I'm very glad to be here. It's my first time in Chicago. I've been in the United States before, but never to Chicago. So it's great to be here. Uh, Eric and I are going to talk about the Hammarby Sjöstad project and, and the background, how, how SymbioCity is uh, in reality, in practice. Uh, myself, I'm com coming from Tengbom Architecture Firm. And <coughs> we are 550 architects uh, and engineers, basically working in Sweden, some international uh, uh, pro uh, projects. Uh, we have been around since 1906, so in that way we are, are kind of unique. Uh, our biggest segment for the moment is, is healthcare, which used to be public buildings and offices, but it's also uh, a lot of planning and urban design. Uh, myself, I'm engaged in the Symbio City approach work, so I'm representing this and, and, and been working internationally. Uh, some with the SymbioCity. But also a member of, of, of the International Federation of Consulting Engineers which also are organizing architects. And we have a branch in the United States and in 94 other countries. And I'm, I'm a part of the Sustainable uh, Urban Development Committee. And also do a, a, a study together with UN Environmental Program in Paris about sustainability. Uh, the SymbioCity uh, has a web page, uh, and the uh, web page address is like this one down here. You can search, search for SymbioCity, and there is some documentation you can look down and read about it. And it's very much about synergy, which we heard uh, in the movie, but to connect energy with waste and sewage water. 
and organized planning. And the Hammarby project is a is an example of this, and this is uh, the web page. Uh, why Symbiocity? Why so much concern about cities right now? Because we have not always been connecting environmental performance with cities as we are doing today. We know that half the population is living in cities, at two or three percent of the land area, the global land area, and we are using 75% of all energy and generating 80% of all carbon dioxide emissions in cities. So the, this is a, a challenge, it's a possibility here, but it's also a possible problem. And it's moving in 190,000 persons to cities every day. And most of them are, are moving in without really any city planning involved in this. We know that the carbon dioxide has increased with 41% in 150 years. And the global yearly emissions are still growing uh, despite we have a lot of concern about this. And we are uh, up to 80% dependent on fossil fuel if you, you, you are regarding all energy use. And coming to transport, transport is globally working, uh, growing with 2% every year, and 95% of the transport work is using fossil fuels. And the carbon dioxide emission is all around now, uh, today, in media and everywhere. And uh, we are sort of discussing that this know-how is quite new, but the first time somebody was discussing this was 1859, so it was many years ago. And that was the same time where the first oil well was drilled, the commercial oil well was drilled in Pennsylvania. 1896, the Swedish researcher Svante Arrhenius was discussing the climate change cost of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And I read, uh, uh, happened to run into a New York Times article from 1981 discussing uh, warming trends that could raise sea levels. So this is nothing new at all. The United States is emitting three times more carbon dioxide per person a year as we do in Sweden, but the United States is not three times richer than, than Sweden. We are almost at the same living standard. China is emitting more carbon dioxide than we are doing in Sweden per person. And talking about China, uh, in the Hammarby project, Eric and I know this very well, we have a lot of visitors, and this is Mr. Xi Jinping, the, 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 the president of China. He was in, in, in Stockholm and Hammarby four years ago. Mr. Al Gore has not been there, but I met him during a conference uh, about climate change in, in Cairo. I'm myself working with the Symbiocity projects uh, in, in Sweden, of course, but also in China. So I've been working uh, in Duyun, in the Gushu province in southwest of China, in Wuxi, not far from Shanghai, and Xi'an. We are working with the project right now, but also in other places. But it's very high on the Chinese agenda to discuss sustainability, in theory. It's more to do in practice. But China is impressing in some ways. China is planting more trees than any other countries, have more electrical two-wheelers than any other country, and have more solar thermal panels than any other countries. So they are much ahead of us in, in the Western world in some respects, but using a lot of coal as well. When we are in China and other places, both Eric and I do a lot of traveling and, and talking about those things uh, all around the globe, in fact. Uh, we have tried to do, uh, describe how sustainability, how infrastructure, and how city planning is coming together. So this is a scheme we have been using in, in China. Uh, and uh, I'm going to explain, we are going to explain with the Hammarby example. But we also deal with the design issues as I'm, I'm an architect. We have to, up to the left, we have the typical Chinese uh, design uh, grammar. And down to the right, we have the Hammarby 
pro projects. And we have to land somewhere in between uh, when we do design in China. The, uh, the picture here is, is interesting because this is Xi'an now, today. And those images here are from uh, Le Corbusier and Paris 1924. And they are very similar, I would say. 90 years in difference. So in China, they're very much following Le Corbusier's design schemes today. And to get building permission for, sorry, what happened now? Uh, for this in China or in Russia is not possible because we are violating too many regulations. Uh, the reason we are doing fairly well in Sweden is that we are working with integrated planning. So we are integrating urban design, infrastructure development, environmental performance, and social and economic dimensions in an interactive and circular planning. We are bringing back experience through the planning process. And this is unique when we are discussing this in, in, in China. It's less unique in, in the Western world, of course. And we have uh, what we call the urban toolbox to simplify this. Uh, and that we, of course, discuss urban functions. That, that's very important. Even though a city m might be uh, with, with uh, not so much of, of uh, uh, community service, technical service, the structure has to be good anyway. And I think the European cities, so the European cities, are quite well organized coming to structure. With not too much urban uh, sprawl, for instance. Traffic transport, of course, landscape and biodiversity, building design, energy, we have to put the energy into this perspective. Energy generation, distribution and use. Water and sewage, where sewage water can be a resource. Uh, and uh, Eric is coming back to that. Waste treatment, we heard about that in, in the movie. ICT, infrastructure, smart cities. That's a big thing uh, in EU to discuss uh, the smart city concept. And of course, uh, big companies are, are developing systems for, for, for cities. But a sustainable city can be done, and a smart city must not be sustainable, but you, you should combine it. Administrative methods, of course, lifestyle. So that's our short urban toolbox. And this is, here, this is in, in practice. The Hammarby project in the uh, southern parts of the inner city of Stockholm, where we have a, a good residential design, but we are implementing all the infrastructure coming to biogas, district heating, traffic storm water, uh, public transportation running on green electricity, for instance. Coming back to that. Uh, down to the left, this is a picture uh, over the inner city of Stockholm. And this was more or less completed in, in, in around 1920 or something. I think we are about 300,000 people living here. Yeah, I, I, in the inner city. And in the middle we have the, wrong again, uh, we have the old town and royal castle. And this is the Baltic Sea, and this is the Lake Mälaren sweet water system where we have our drinking water. Down to the right here in the formerly industrial and harbor area we have the Hammarby project. But there is also other projects. Uh, the Royal Seaport, uh, Norra Djurgårdstaden and uh, Hagastaden and this part as well and down here which are to, to densify the city, to make it more compact and use and have a better land use and also make it attractive to the public. Uh, this is a picture from 97, <coughs> uh, and we have the Hammarby project here, Royal Castle up here, and the Prime Minister is sitting there. We have our office here, and uh, Eric is working here at Glashuset, Glasshouse 1. This is uh, not well used by that time, industrial and harbor area. 
The city of Stockholm has organized this job. The city of Stockholm owned the land from the beginning, but it has been, the most investments have been coming from uh, private developers and infrastructure companies. So the city of Stockholm has been the conductor, but not doing the most of the investments. So it, this is not uh, about tax ma money, really. It's about investments and, if you will, also profit. Uh, it's planned for 12,000 new apartments. 9,000 are constructed today. I think there is about 23,000 inhabitants in the area. We have had 33 different developers uh, working in the area and about 30 different architecture firms. So again, the city of Stockholm is a conductor, but not playing the instruments. The uh, process started in the mid-90s, and there will be a few years more to go. There are two important documents for, for the Hammarby area. One is an environmental program, and the other one is a master plan. And this is a living document. Uh, it's made in a dialogue between the city of Stockholm and, and developers and uh, private actors and designers, <coughs> also uh, with the politicians. There were no people li really living in the area, so there were, was not so many to discuss with on site. The red colors are uh, basically residential, and the violet are formal industrial building turned into commercial or office use, to put it, put it uh, short. It's an inner city uh, concept. It's rectangular, basically rectangular blocks. They are half open, half closed. So are, they are, in a way, following the inner city concept. In another way, is using modernistic design into this. Uh, this is the uh, Glass House One, Glass Housets. Uh, I'm showing this because I'm, uh, I've been working as a planner with the Hammarby area, but uh, I'm, I'm also the uh, planning architect of the area for the team for the city of Stockholm. But I'm the designer, the architect of this building. And uh, this is an experiment building with the photovoltaic panels, heat pumps. There used to be a fuel cell machine. Uh, there, uh, there is a machine that could uh, uh, store uh, hydrogen, and uh, there's another machine that can, can divide water into oxygen and hydrogen. So it's a high-tech building. But uh, the environmental performance from Hammarby is coming from the infrastructure, well-insulated, uh, fairly well-insulated buildings, and a uh, dense, compact, uh, designed area. So its uh, recipe is quite simple. This is the area 97. Uh, not well-used area, I would say, but with, with a great location. And this is uh, eight years <coughs> later. And our friends from England, for instance, says this was really fast. And our friends from China think we have used a lot of time to. <laughs> but then we say we have been working with quality. <laughs> it's, um, the buildings are from five to eight uh, floors high. There are basically U-formed blocks here. You have access from three sides with car. You can drive up to every entrance door, but you have no through traffic here, and here we have 1,000 apartments in this year, so this is an enclave. And here we've got another enclave, etc. So it's organized in an enclave. Almost every residential block has connection to a public park. And this is meant to be a family-friendly area. And I think it's working like this also. And it also it's attractive, <coughs> attractive to the market. So the market is, is selling fa fairly well for the apartments here. This is a, a former industrial building, now turned over to offices and some residential use here. This used to be a light bulb factory, but we buy them the light bulbs from China or something. We don't do them here. Here, this is sort of the, the design grammar here. It's two buildings, 
two buildings and two buildings. They are forming a block. There is a public side coming with a car, uh, reach every entrance door, and then we have a shared space, a courtyard, a quiet side, a green, also playgrounds, etc. And it's not more people living around the block than you by face know the other families that had children in your age, or if you're a retired person, you know the other retired persons, etc. So there's a sort of scale factor into, in, into this. You can combine it with towers. This is an office tower and this is a home tower. It's about 115 apartments per hectare, which will, uh, and there is two acres in one hectare. Uh, and you can see the half open structure and possible lake views. So it's designed after lake views. Every single block is a, a different a developer. And every single block has a different architect. And every single courtyard has a different landscape architect. And it's a sort of hierarchy coming from the private apartment to the half-private balcony, for instance, or the half-private uh, staircase, which you are sharing. And then you have the half-public courtyard. And then you have the public street or the park. So it's a quite simple uh, but consequent uh, design into this. And if you look into the, the master plan itself, it's a boulevard going through the area. It's about 30, what will it be? It's uh, like the avenues in New York, almost 100 feet. The streets here are 60 feet, like the streets in, in Manhattan. So it's very much. We are not following Manhattan. It just happened to end up at the same conclusions. <coughs> you have to believe me here. <laughs> so this is the spine, and then you have killed the sacks here, dead end streets. And then you can change it in, into a variation. But it's, it's the same thing. And this is a highly trafficked road that was lowered by the road company. And then we have those green bridges. And then we have also uh, glass walls following the road here to keep out the traffic noise here. And, and uh, to make it possible to construct residential building quite close to this road. And also from here reach this natural park reserve we have here. And that is a part of, of, of uh, the traffic road in a tunnel. And this is the interior of the road tunnel. This is paid by the government, the government road cap. This is a, a, a light rail stop and with shopping around. So I, I'm going to show some of, of the views in the area. This is, uh, we have trees in every street. So this is our avenue with four rows of trees. And it's organized with sidewalks, street-side parking, two cars, one tree, two cars, one tree. And then we ha have the, a bicycle lane and the lane for vehicles, and then we have a row of trees. And then we have public transportation. Here working li like a, a BRT solution for through the area. And then it's repeating itself. And the buildings here are seven, eight floors high. And uh, it's, it's demand to have uh, shops or, 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 or uh, restaurants in the, in the street level. And it's possible to have offices here. But it's not the demand. And then it's a residential use. And this is one of the local streets, which is about 60 feet, 18 meters. There's a small front garden to keep a distance from the sidewalk to the living room here because here we don't have any shops. There is a garage door, so we have an underground parking under the courtyard, and then again street-side parking. So we have trees in every street, and street-side parking in every street, which is a very efficient way to park. And we have the, uh, the figures, we have about 75% uh, uh, 
the number of apartments are corresponding to 75% of the parking place. So um, uh, uh, three out of four households has a car, and we have the same number of, of parking places. But it's always a discussion that they are too expensive. I, I'm sure you recognize that. It's also planned uh, all over the area uh, for, uh, for cycles, for bikes. And also there is a network for pedestrians besides the sidewalks and for bicycles through the area. And this is a stainless street uh, bridge connecting two parts. This came in one piece, the winter day. And accessibility is very important. It's important everywhere. And it's, if you start to do it from the beginning, it's not complicated. Afterwards, it's very complicated. There's a street plan, there's a block plan, and there's a park plan. As I said, every block here has a, a short connection or a, a, a green public space just around the corner, which is important. You can walk from one part to another, so you can actually walk around in the park. And this is very attractive for the families. And if it's good for families, it's good for all of us. And here you can say, see the same system. So formal uh, in, industrial and harbor key. Now it's only for pedestrians here. Boardwalk in the reed. Stormwater canal. Stormwater gutter. So it's a local treatment of stormwater. Uh, it's a slalom slope. It was there before, but it has been extended. And this is another part of the area organized after the same ideas, but a little bit more densified, more compact. Triple glazed windows, which is a part for the balconies and the windows are very much a part of the architecture, of course. Exterior sun shading equipment. So we have garage under here. So this is a, one of the shared space courtyards. The apartments are organized after this grammar. Of course, the buildings are different, but basically, kitchens and living rooms are and staircases are facing the street side, and bedrooms and small apartments are facing the quiet courtyard side. We have other fire regulation than you have, so we can organize this. But have corridor in a building, like a hotel. This is really not <laughs> very common or it almost doesn't exist at all. And here we have the service structure, and this, those are schools, creches, daycare centers for children. School, former industrial building turned over to residential building. So, and this is constructed and developed and completed now, and this is under planning. It's a block structure, but it's sort of linked, linked small tower buildings. It's even higher density here, but we have the water and the southwest sun. And this is how the area is looking today, and the whole area. 40% of the apartments here are rental, and 60% are owned in a sort of co-op system that we have in Sweden. We have organized over 100 projects. And we have had a lot of meetings. People like me are coordinating those meetings. And we're working with multidisciplinary teams together from the start. And the developers are very much engaged in the design process. And very generous sharing information. And this is a zoning plan, a statutory plan, which is also agreement between the city and the developers, and one developer with another developer. Design guidelines edited together 
coordination of architecture, material, and coloring, landscaping, coordinating, sun and shadow studies, uh, traffic noise, risk, hazardous transports, and this is how it's looking today. Oh, so if we will have any snow this winter. There's another project which is interesting in Sweden, which is Western Harbor in Malmö, organized after also the Symbio City. I point out this, the infrastructure. China is investing like 16% of their GMP in infrastructure. Uh, globally, they're average of 8%. Sweden has gone down from four to one and a half something. And <clears throat> I don't know about the United States, but I think infrastructure investments is a problem. And this is a, a report from a, a New York Building Congress about uh, infrastructure in, in the New York area. And I think we have to com combine the planning development with the infrastructure if we would like to have sustainability. This is my last slide. I think this is very good. Um, it's not a simple city, uh, but anyhow, a developed country is not a place where the poor have cars. It's a place where the rich use public transportation. And this is said by the former mayor of Bogota. And this is very important. Uh, if we, we have to have more systems than cars and only cars in cities. And this is very important to say in China. It may be important in the United States as well. Thank you very much, Eric. Good evening. It's very nice to be here. Not the first time, I'm here the second time actually, because I was on a Green Building Conference a couple of years ago. Anyway, I will talk a little bit about this environmental program which the whole area has been built on. Uh, as you saw, this was a very old area. You can talk about actually as industrial squatters because here, no, let's see, here they were not allowed to be there, but they came up there in the 50s, 60s, 70s and so on. And because there was no control of them, they also left everything in the grounds. And they found that out actually when they cleaned the soil there because they found 120 metric tons of oil and grease and 180 metric tons of heavy metals. So it's quite devastating, actually. But, as you know, it has been changed completely. And uh, that's, I call my house, because I've been in charge of that environmental information center for the, when it started for 12 years ago. Um, oh, I thought I had taken this away. But this is one of the high buildings, actually. And by the way, when, while I have it now, I can introduce my dog, Eskil, by the way. Um, environmental program. They made this actually because this was going to be the Olympic Village for the Summer Olympic 2004. That was the application they made. And the reason they made this environmental program was because Sydney in Australia, they had the Summer Olympic 2000. And one of the reasons they got it was because of their environmental program. For instance, all their electricity came from solar cells. So that for Sweden, and Stockholm said, we shall make a bigger environmental program and win. But did we? No, we didn't. It was Athens who got it. But that environmental program stayed on throughout the whole process. And the, total, and the overall goal is to lower the total environmental impact by 50%. And we compare that to newly built house in the beginning of the 1990s in the central Stockholm. So that is the comparison we're doing. And here are some of these topics which they solved then because of this integrated planning before they started to build this area. And I'm going through this a little bit now. Um, traffic, for instance. I mean, here's going to live roughly about, shall we say, in the end, 20, 25, 28, 30,000 people. There are working places here, but it's only, say, we say, 5, 6% of the people who live there are actually working in the area, so most of them have to commute. So therefore, it's very important that you have public transport very early in the project. So people have the choice, should I use the public transport or my own car? So this light railway link, for instance, started actually one and a half year after the first people moved in, which was in the summer 2002. They also started the carpool. Here, I think you call it zip cars. 
Uh, and uh, these two companies are running this in the, in the area, Hammarby Sjöstad. And they have 40 cars parked in 11 different places. And we did a survey of all these public transport and how people were moving and so on for about nine, ten years ago. And at that moment, we found out, actually, that we had decreased the use of cars compared to other areas in Stockholm with roughly about 40%. And I think the only reason is that the public transport started early. That is the only reason. Had it started, shall we say, in 2006 or 8 or something, I don't think we have had these figures at all. Um, the developers, as Stellan has said, there are quite a number of uh, developers, 32 different developers and so on. And of course, they are also involved in this environmental program. You see, when you move into a flat in Sweden, old one or new one, everything in the kitchen is there. Cupboard, fridge, freezer, cook and so on. And when you leave that fl flat, you leave everything behind you. You don't take anything with you. So the developer has to install these, all these machines. And here they have said at least energy class A. So you're using as little energy as possible and as little water as possible. Low flushing toilets. And also defined as much as environmental friendly material and reusable material as much as possible. So there is an extra cost to build the buildings here than somewhere else. But that extra cost is only 2 to 4%, not more. At the same time they made this environmental program, they also made this Hammerby model. The EcoCycle model showed that everything is connected. All these big infrastructure buildings, the heat and power plant, the water plant, the wastewater treatment plant, and Hammerby thermal power station, they were already built. This is just to show that everything that the people are throwing away through the waste, what comes with the wastewater, are coming back in one way or another. So, we start with energy, and we start with district heating. In the city of Stockholm, the municipality, it's roughly about 75-80% of all the villas and all the block of flats are connected to the district heating system. And as we heard on the film, in Sweden we don't look at garbage as garbage. Garbage is a resource. So when you're taking out all the recyclables, glass, plastic, metal, etc., you have a leftover, and that we incinerate, and from that we get district heating, hot tap water, and electricity. Another source to produce uh, district heating is this. It's the heat from the purified wastewater, because that is having a temperature between 8 and 18 degrees Celsius. Through heat exchange, you take that heat out, and from that you produce district heating. Now that water is cold, under 4 degrees Celsius, so now you can produce district cooling in the same process. And here you can see, actually, the layout of the um, upper building, upper picture here, is the, how the district heating is actually, in Greater Stockholm, has been developed. And down here, you have actually the district cooling system. I think we are second or the third uh, in the world having the largest uh, district cooling system. And as you can see also, it started in 1953, so it has been a long process to make all this district heating. Biogas was also mentioned on the film. Uh, this is a wastewater treatment plant which is actually in the area. It takes care of wastewater for about 700,000 people. You take out the biosolid, and from that you're producing biogas. And actually, this wastewater treatment plant is in the area, so we have 1,000 flats in the area which are having uh, biogas cookers in their kitchen. But as the film said, most of this is used for fuel for buses and cars. That is the main purpose for it. Waste. Here we take care of the three largest fractions of waste. It's food waste, it is combustible waste, and it's newspaper. And we have what we call the station vacuum system for solid waste. You have three intakes, either in the garden or in the house itself. And um, it's one for, one for each fraction. And you can see here actually that the green one is for the food waste, the blue is the newspapers, and the grey is for the combustible waste. Underneath the ground, you have the container where you store it until it's going to be collected. Then all these containers are then in one pipe connected to a house in the outskirts of the area where you have three containers, one for each fraction. And there also, you have the fan which sucks the garbage in the speed of 70 kilometers per hour through the pipes. The funny thing is you see in the, in the area of Hammerbuchestad is that 
all the cars, they have a speed limit of 30 kilometers, but not the garbage. <laughs> anyway, the fan starts, and then you empty one of the containers for the food waste. And then you go to the next food waste container, and then you go around the whole area to collect the food waste. Shift container, and then it takes a second fraction and a third fraction. And because you're taking one fraction at a time, that's why you need only one pipe to the house. And it is to this house the waste floor is coming to collect the three largest fractions instead of going into every building. You save space in the building, you can narrow down the side streets, it's more secure, you don't pollute the air, and so on. And this is a Swedish company, Envac, who is doing this. And now, actually, they have now got actually a big project now in New York, the Hudson Yards, where they're going to install this uh, system in throughout the whole project. The last part is water. In Stockholm area, we're using roughly about 200 liters per person a day. And I said in the beginning, we're trying to reduce everything by half. So here we're trying to get down to 100 liters. We have a lot of teenagers coming into our center, actually. And uh, before I show them this picture, I ask them, do you know how much water you're using? They start off with 2 liters, 5 liters, 10 liters. Well, after a while, they come up to 200 liters. Then I tell them, think about how many minutes you're standing in the shower. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right, because if you're using a normal shower head, you're using 10 liters per minute. Then you can see two or three of these kids say, oh, sh sugar. Because then you know they are standing there for only 30 minutes or more. <laughs> there you are. Anyway, because of technical installations, low flushing toilets, energy class A, and then we also have put in an air filter in all the taps which reduce the water flow with 50%. We have come down to 150 liters per person a day. I don't think, unfortunately, not unfortunately, I don't think we're going to come down to 100 liters because we are so fortunate in Sweden, we have no shortage of water. And also for Stockholm Water Company, for one US dollar, you get roughly about 700 liters from Stockholm Water Company, including treating the wastewater. These are some of these consulting firms, and Tengbom is one of them also. These are, have helped the developers here in Hammarbyggjöstad, how to make the sustainable city. And now they're helping other cities in Sweden, but also abroad to make the sustainable city. Because, I mean, I, we have to think about those things now when, when we are planning new city areas. 75% all these targets are in the buildings and are in the infrastructure. I say the more we can put in the buildings and the infrastructure, the better it is, because then the people don't have to change their behaviors. It's already solved. But of course, some of it has to be taken care of. And therefore, they started this Environmental Information Center. And we have been up running now for 12 years, and I've been in charge of that one. And it has been a very interesting journey these 12 years. We have roughly about 10,000 uh, visitors every year coming to our center. And 5,000 of those are international visitors from all over the world. I say our visitors are kids, three, four years old on one side, and you have precedence on the other side, and then you have the whole spectrum in between. Right. The aim was to lower by 50%. And now we have looked at four parts of this area and found out that, well, we didn't achieve it. We have between 30 to 40%, we have reduced the envir total environmental impact. Remember, this is not an eco-village. You don't sign a contract that you had to behave in certain ways. It's just an ordinary city area. So I say, to be the first in the world for such a large area, for such a big environmental program, I think that result is rather good. But all the targets were set in the 90s. Today we can do much better. New technologies, new solutions, and so on. So therefore, we're using these experiences to other parts of Stockholm. And one of them is the Norra Jugotstaden, as we say in Sweden. But we have it also translated, actually, the Stockholm Royal Seaport which is also in harbour area, which is going to be changed. Here you can see how it was in 2000, had gas works, power plant, cruise port, container terminal, all the EPO and so on. And in 30 years' time, it's going to be completely different. 12,000 new homes, roughly about 35,000 working places, commercial space, etc. So it's going to be completely different. 
And also, of course, they're going to have also an environmental program. But they made the framework of the environmental program. And then for every phase, they can do the detailed one because then they can put in new technologies and new solutions. And of course, sustainable buildings. Uh, I'm not going to read that because you can read that for yourself and so on. So it has to be also minimizing, the, for instance, the energy consumption so they insulate the, the buildings much better. Uh, we can take the traf traffic hierarchy, for instance, ICT solutions. You don't have to go to work. You can sit at home and do your work and so on. Then, next one is walking and biking. Next one is the public transit. Next one is carpool. Last is your own car. And remember, also, limited car parking in, in Stockton Royal Seaport is only half parking space per flat. So uh, they're really trying to emphasize that use the public transit instead in using your own car. Uh, but the key, the key success, why Hammarbyskjön start had been so known and so on, this, this is because of this integrated planning, or which also we have heard about, the Symbiocity. And when we talk about Symbiocity, we talked about synergies, how to use things and so on and so forth. And I think water is a beautiful example of this. We take all our water from Lake Mälaren, which is actually west of the city. It is the third largest freshwater lake in Sweden. And from that we're making drinking water. People use it, we, take, we send it over to the wastewater treatment plant, take out the biosolid, and from that we are producing bi uh, biogas. Now that biosolid has become a fertilizer, so now the farmer can use this in the farming. And from the treated wastewater, we get district heating and district cooling. So out of the water from Lake Mälaren, you can charge four times. This is another example. This is the central station of the city of Stockholm. Through that one passes roughly about two to 300,000 people. Top of that roof, it's 33 degrees Celsius. That heat is sold from the central station and heat up this new office building. And if you need cooling, you have a canal on the other side. So perhaps you don't see it, but here you have the central station, here's the office, and here is actually the canal. So if you're just building one building, you can look around and see, is there something around me which I can utilize? And I think actually this is very important to, do, to think about all these things and so on. But to really succeed is that you have participation of the people who live there. This is actually from Hammarby Sjöstads Day, where the organization who work, are uh, working in the area gathered together in the end of August and beginning of September. And then you have, uh, can buy food and so on. And also, uh, kids' programs, etc., etc., and here's a flea market and so on. So really making that this is in, in their own city area and so on. And to plan, I think I come back to this, to plan that we're talking about the climate change because that is the, the topics. I mean, we have two big problems to solve in the world. It's the climate change and getting fresh water. So I finish off with this one. Tack så mycket. Okay, we have uh, some time for some questions now. Um, so if you <clears throat> if you'd like to ask a question, just raise your hand. I'll come over with the microphone here. Uh, you mentioned the land was owned initially by the city of Stockholm, and the city was sort of in charge of the the pro process. As far as I could tell, uh, is uh, basically what? Are, how many governments? How complicated are the governmental systems in in that area? How many governments were involved? In, well, <laughs> of course it's complicated, but it, it's a municipality of Stockholm, and, and the uh, the different departments of uh, development, uh, city planning, uh, transportation, environment, and there is also local level. Uh, well, Stockholm is divided into Oof. 15 or something oh, yeah. sub-areas, yeah. yeah. so there is also political boards there. So some of the questions are dealt with in the city hall or in the, the different boards, but also other questions to the local boards. 
I wouldn't say it, it's very complicated. No. There is a, the municipalities in Sweden has fairly good economy because there's a income taxation also to the municipality level, which is helpful. And also that uh, cities like Stockholm is reinvesting money coming from leasehold system when they are renting out land and other areas is circulating money. This is helpful. Taking from a city point of view, I think this is a, a also a plus project. If you have the taxpayer, taxpayers in the area. Most of what you showed us are is um, showing some new development and uh, sort of starting from scratch. Uh, what are the strategies for retrofitting the older buildings and the older downtowns? And what are the specific challenges uh, are you discovering with uh, working with older buildings as opposed to newer ones? Uh, I can talk about actually project which the city of Stockholm is now uh, taking care of. Uh, you see, in uh, 1960s, 1970s, we had what we call the One Million Program in, in Sweden. Because a lot of people moved in from the countryside and moved into the city. So the Swedish government said, we have to build quite a number of, of uh, apartments and flats and so on. And they were built very hastily, didn't think about the energy consumption, etc., etc. Uh, now 9,000 of those uh, apartments up in the suburbs of Stockholm, city of Stockholm, uh, are now going to be changed completely. So for instance, the energy consumption is going down from 185 kilowatt hour per square meter a year up down to 50 kilowatt hour per square meter a year. Uh, and also the uh, also using absolutely we have they have installed actually ten square meters of ten thousand square meters of solar cells also on the roofs. Um, so it is important also that you have you take care of those buildings also. Um, if you see that if you own your flat as a co-op, it is not then the city who's taking care of that. That is the co-op, the members who had to do that. And, and, of course, they are also uh, trying to make uh, the energy consumption less and so on. And that is happening, actually happening also in Hammarby Sjöstad, even though it's only 15 years old. Um, they have what we can call to renew a new city. So they also have started to do it because some, some of the things didn't work out in this. As I, you saw, it didn't come up to 50% as the target. It was 30%, 40%. So there are things that you can do for instance, with, with the ventilation and to reuse the heat from the ventilation and so on and so forth. So it's a lot of do because most of the buildings in the city are is already built. So those you have to take care of, of course, yes. Well, I think we should add to this also that the district heating systems are implemented also in, in existing areas. Mm -hmm. And the district heating system in, in Sweden, I think it's up to almost 80% of all residential buildings are connected to a district heating system somewhere. And also many of the existing one-family houses, they're using heat pumps with the uh, geothermal or, uh, or uh, air thermal heat pumps. And we have, by tradition, fairly well-insulated buildings. The hotel where we are staying, mm -hmm. there is single-glazed windows. Uh, you can't find a a normal building in Sweden with single glaze. We have had double frame windows since the 1700s. Yep. Without those, there would be no space. <laughs> exactly. So there is uh, other things. And also the older buildings are better insulated than the million program yeah, from yeah. the 60s. And now we are sort of back to a, a reasonable standard again. Mm. How much um, uh, public support among the general populace of the country is required to successfully engage in this kind of initiative? Or is this something that's really done by the utility companies and the governmental agencies? Um, and what is the level of public support in, in Sweden for this, this type of work? Coming to residential development, there is no public support at all. And also in, in this area, uh, the initiative is from the city, and the and the streets and the uh, soil cleaning, yeah. uh, the public areas, and the planning process is paid by the city. But the infrastructure, 
uh, like the water pipes are mm. paid by the water company, which has a zero result. Uh, the energy is uh, the district heating and district cooling systems are commercial. And they are doing a lot of money. Also, the district cooling system in in Sweden is in Stockholm is commercial, and the developers are operating commercial, and they pay a lot of tax. So. Uh, the cities of Stockholm are putting some money into this area because of the, s the streets and public spaces, etc. But not really into the development. Actually, I'd like to follow up. I, I, what I meant by public support was uh, political support. Oh. Um, the attitude of the populace, the voters, uh, the attitude of the politicians in uh, in the uh, in the parliament or the local city yeah. councils. Um, is uh, does the, is are is there widespread support among the people uh, and their elected officials for yeah. for these types of initiatives, the regulations and laws which promote these types of initiatives? Well, I, I, one thing you can say is that to really succeed with this kind of project, you have to have the political will. You have to have the political will. Uh, and in uh, before now they have been reigned for eight years the conservative parties but they were thrown off now because they had a general election last September but they have reigned for before it was four years with the conservative parties and then it was four years with the, with the left-wing parties and then and even though they changed um, ruling and so on the environmental program stayed on for the whole time no difference at all they just said it and that is going to happen to Stockholm Royal Seaport also that because now they was initiated this environmental program by the conservative parties, now it's the left-wing parties who are ruling in the city, in the city hall. They are not going to change it because they are also into this environment because most Swedish people are in, are into this, that the environment is so important. We could do more, of course. Uh, we can do a lot more. But uh, the regulations and so on, as you said, has also is helping to make the environment uh, on the on the agenda all the time, and we also have uh, actually an environmental um, party, political party, also in in Sweden. Hi, um, I guess I have two quick questions. Uh, one. Do you uh, negotiate with developers? Do you have like incentives where if they get more density, if uh, they give back in some way? And then two, it looked like you had one and two units. I'm just curious what the unit mix is between one, two, three, and more. Uh, of course, we have discussion with all developers, but there is no, I mean, no extra building rights. No, no, but. Of course, you 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 discussing who is paying what, etc. But the, the, the tradition is, is is quite firm. So uh, they are eager to be in an attractive area, and that's a, a, of course a, a base for a discussion. Uh, it's uh, coming to the apartment size. It's two beds apartments, I think it's or a little bit more. It's average. Yeah. Yes. But you have studios and you have three, four beds, uh, apartments as well. And also you have 400 student apartments also in the area, three different buildings also. And you also have a block of flats where you have to be 55 plus to buy a flat also. But it could, I think it could be more diversity because majority of the people are between 25 to 45 years old. I think this is the most children populated in Northern Europe. We've got a lot of kids, which I think is good, because that is, they're going to pay my pension. <laughs> a follow-up question to the, to the um, negotiation part. If you looked at any one of these uh, areas um, back before they started, was there a decision process as to whether there should be as many units as there are, or was half discussed, or was double? In other words, where was that decision made, or, or is that a uniform standard, sort of, for the city of Stockholm for all new areas? Well, uh, it's it was some pre-documents. It, it's, it's a process, step by step, and I, I'd say the density is is 
growing through the years because uh, we, the city knows or the designers knows that it can handle higher and higher density. And if it's an attractive area, it's easier to have more density in a, compared with a lesser uh, compact area. So we, it's, uh, compactness comes with good design and good reputation. Uh, but it's it's very much a tradition. So we are uh, more or less at the same level as we are in the traditional older parts of Inner City. It's I would say it's it's the sun, the angle of the sun, which is deciding the density. Uh, you mentioned briefly that uh, and uh, a carbon tax had been implemented or instituted in Sweden. How much impact, well, first of all, when was it implemented, and how much impact do you think that had on the move toward more energy efficiency, uh, more sustainable systems, not only in Stockholm, but countrywide? I think it was in the mid-90s or yeah, something. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. 97 or something. Yeah. We have the, and I think there was a, a Scandinavian sort of tradition to work with this. So it has an impact, but also... The situation that we are in a cold country and we don't have any fossil sources, so we are using what we have. You coming to to we also have nuclear. <laughs> uh, coming to the energy use in Sweden, it's almost 50% renewable sources to this, and that includes also road transport work in, into this. And it's very much because of the, we had a hydropower for for the. Uh, for the uh, electricity generation, and also that we are using sorted garbage mm. uh, for district heating, and also using wood shops, and we are uh, have a combined system that we are generating electricity and heat at the same time, and also using some industries for district heating. And we have had, uh, I think, district heating is an American invention, <laughs> but it's it's more used uh, in, in in Sweden. Uh, and we have had district heating uh, started in 1951, and we started to uh, incinerate garbage in 1971. And there is almost uh, the, the buildings in the Greater Stockholm are using district heating or heat pump. I don't think coal is this is an exception. It it's exists, but it annoys uh, very little. So 50% renewable energy in Sweden which is, uh, for the Western world, it is uh, unique. I think Iceland is sort of the same level because of the geothermal. Okay, I think we're a little over time now. So if you can all give me a hand in, uh, in thanking Thank Stellan and Eric for coming and joining us tonight. Thank you very much.